بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم بسم الله رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقهوا قولي 321 اسماعيل لطفي Ismail Lotfi is a stand-up comedian, writer, and actor from Central Florida. He has performed on Jimmy Kimmel Live, Bill Burr Presents, The Ringers, and This Week at the Cellar. Oh. Ismail wrote for the critically acclaimed Patriot Act with Hassan Minhaj and is a rising star amongst uh, the stand-up comedy field. Ismail Lotfi, thank you for coming on. Hey, man. I really appreciate it. What's going on, man? How you doing? How I'm you doing, doing well. Man? Thanks for having me, brother. I'm so excited for this. Uh, yes. I, actually, I actually discovered you because I am a stand-up comedy. I'm a huge fan. Uh, I binge watch stand-up comedy. Uh, and when I, when I found someone like you, I loved it because you were actually the first Muslim stand-up comedian that I actually thought was super funny, uh, was not whitewashed with the way they represent their identity and is just just coming up there and i love that i yeah. love your brand i love your aesthetic everything about it appreciate it man that's that's kind of you to say so i'm curious i'm curious how, you know uh how did you how did you end up going into stand-up comedy well i think it, it had a lot to do with trying to find a like a uh, an identity uh outside of being the Muslim brown kid in school. When I first started thinking like, you know, I think I could, I'll do standup was in high school when I was maybe 15 and didn't really have a lot of friends. I had like a sort of a group, but I wasn't very integrated into it. You know, I was sort of a peripheral friend. And I, I figured like, if I start telling people that I'm going to be a standup comedian, that will give me an edge outside of being the, the, the brown kid. Um, and it kind of worked because then it like it sort of primed everyone to be like oh yeah you are pretty funny that's right yeah okay that makes sense that you would do that and uh it, it just i went to college a couple years later and started doing stand-up and, and that's kind of how it how it happened but that was the initial impetus was to uh make friends wow and basically to lie and be like no i'm gonna do stand-up when i actually didn't have a real plan to do it at the time um but it worked. I made a lot of friends. Were you, so did you have a, because you grew up in central Florida. Did you have, uh, did you struggle to make friends because you were Muslim, because you were Brown? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there weren't very many of us. Um, and the ones that there were, the other Muslims that were around were ones that I would only see at the mosque once a week, you know, Friday for Friday prayer or whatever, Sunday school type thing. So it was hard to, to have like close friends, you know, that were Muslim. So no, yeah, for sure. It was always kind of like a, um, you know, isolated a little bit in school and stuff. So now I, I never really had friends until um, the later years of high school. Yeah. Why didn't you just hide it? Like most Muslims did. You could have just been like, Hey man, like call me Ishmael. Uh, I'm not really into this Muslim thing. That just what my yeah. parents are. Uh, why? Well, you know, that's funny because there were other Muslim kids around, not in my high school, well, maybe a few in my high school, but there were a few in my high school, a few at the other high school down, down the, the highway um, that would do that. And I didn't really resonate with that because I grew up super religious and my family was real, you know, rep in Islam pretty hard all the time. My mom, big hijabi, and my dad, 
uh, he had this car that was kind of famous in the town called, we called it the Islamobile. Um, and he, it's like a big old Pontiac, one of these big metal cars from the 70s, it's all boxy. And he painted all over it. He painted, you know, islamalways.com on the back. And he wrote like, the Bible is lies and Jesus never said, worship me. And, um, you know, a bunch of things like read the Quran, the Quran is love. Like he painted all over his car. So it would, would have been pretty hard for me to uh, pretend like I wasn't Muslim when I was getting into that at the end of the school day. So, yeah. Jeez. Did you yeah. actually, <laughs> did you actually get married in high school? Yeah, it was a Sharia marriage. It wasn't a, it wasn't, we didn't go to a courthouse. We just had a, a very um, informal Sharia marriage with the witnesses and the document, the, the, the kitab that was very informal. Uh, my dad officiated it. It, it was not, it's, it's an interesting position to be in nowadays. It's been like 12 years because it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a legal marriage. But it felt very real because she was not Muslim. And that made it feel more real because it's like, you know, now, now this white girl is, is getting involved with this Muslim kid who is springing some weird ritualistic, mystical Eastern uh, uh, ceremony on her so that they can date. Um, but no, it was not like a legal marriage. So it's yes and no. Yeah. Run it back, run it back for me. Okay, so a Sharia marriage, first of all, is just being, oh yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> is being married under the, the the umbrella of Islam, which is different than being married under the government. Okay, why did you marry a non-Muslim in high school? I I I just I just inferred that it was going to be a Muslim, so that just threw me off that it's a non-Muslim. Run, run me through. Yeah, you wanted yeah. to date her or something, and your dad was like, "You got to get married." Yes. So, well, basically, again, the friends, right? So I started making friends when I was about 16, 15, 16. And this friend group um, had a girl in it that I liked. And we started hanging out. And then at one point, I was like, you know, I guess we're, we're I just realized we were dating after, after a little while. And she was not Muslim. And which made it easier because it's like, well, yeah, non-Muslims date all the time. Muslims don't, we don't date. We don't really do that. Uh, you know, in public, many Muslims do secretly. Um, so I was with her and I was like, well, I can't, this goes back to the car thing. Like I'm very, Islam is very upfront for me. So I didn't want to secretly have this girlfriend. So I just told my father about it. And I was like, can we do like a little Sharia marriage just so that we can date and, and just have like a semi normal relationship. Um, and he was like, yeah, let's go for it. He was real into it. And we, we did the ceremony. And it was just like on a Friday after school. It was like not a, it was not a big deal. It was at a falafel restaurant that I'd never been to before. It was like, it just popped up out of the ground for us to do this. And my dad invited a couple of his uh, patients, his, his doctor invited a couple of his patients over to be the witnesses, two old white, white guys um, and the owner of the restaurant and his wife. And we signed a thing and that was that. And then we just dated for six months and it was like, we were just like together. Her mom hated it. Her mom was really against it. They were, she was, I don't want to call her a redneck, but you know, very central Florida. Um, just Fox news watching redneck and did, did not love what was going on. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, but she still let it happen. And this girl was all for it. 
I'm guessing this girl thought she was going to marry you. You know, the funny thing is, I was more naive about it. I was really into it, like, oh, no, we're going to be together forever. And she's a little, she was a little bit more um, realistic and, you know, she'd had boyfriends before. So in her mind, it was like, well, you're just a boyfriend that I had to do a weird ceremony to date. Um, but she, she also saw that it was like somewhat legit, um, at least religiously. She's like, I know in your religion, this means something. Something to add for, for, for listeners is that a lot of Muslims do this with each other when they're young. Like there are at least in the big cities, like in, in New York and, and I'm sure in like Chicago and Michigan or, uh, you know, Detroit, Muslims who want to date will do like a Sharia marriage that's not a legal marriage. And then it's sort of, you know, they'll have a party at the mosque and stuff, but it's not, um, it's not super uncommon for this to happen. It is uncommon to do it with a non-Muslim though, because- In high school. In high school, yeah. <laughs> But what are you going? What was I supposed to do? Was I supposed to lie to my father? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Am I supposed to lie to my family? I would never do that. Did you, did you, so you guys only dated for six months. Yeah, and then then we broke up. Yeah. Jeez, man. Because of her, she was she wasn't into it. Oh wow! Yeah. 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 yeah that sounds not it for everyone, man. That's no, sure. no, 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 no. So it says that, like, uh, I read that that actually propelled your career. Uh, to stand up comedy. That's when you started taking comedy seriously because you were, were you heartbroken over this? Oh, I was devastated. I was very devastated. You know, your first love ending is like, uh, it's, it's a tectonic plate moving. It's a crazy shift. And um, it was right when I was getting into college and I, I moved to, to uh, uh, Gainesville, Florida, which is, you know, it's just like a crappy little college town. And it had a very small comedy scene that I felt like, oh, I could, this is something that I could distract myself with is trying to go to open mics and write jokes and perform. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a way to, to not be so heartbroken. Ironically, doing open mics in central Florida will break your heart because I was, it, that was equally as jarring and, and hard to go through was starting comedy at the same time as you're getting over a breakup or a divorce or whatever you want to look at it. Because starting comedy is excruciating, especially when you're a kid, I was 18. So I had nothing to say. It was just going up and, and experiencing just bomb after bomb for, you know, a solid year. And how, how'd that kind of go? Cause did you deal with anything cause you were Muslim uh, cause of your identity once you started becoming a stand-up comedian? So, Initially, when I started comedy, I, you know, every comedian is very idealistic when they start. We all, you have to be delusional and you have to have an idea of yourself that's just not real. Because otherwise, if you're too realistic and you're too honest, you won't really do stand up because it's a ridiculous thing to do. So I had a lot of images of myself and ideas like, oh, I'm not going to talk about race. I'm not going to talk about religion or my upbringing. I'm just going to be like a pure, I wanted to be like, uh, Zach Galifianakis. Do you know Zach Galifianakis? Yeah. Like his stand up. Yeah. You know stand up. Yeah. I don't know his stand up actually. Oh, look it up. It's very well. Maybe it doesn't. I think it holds up. It's it, it's it's very silly. It's kind of like um, Mitch Hedberg. Do you know Mitch Hedberg? Mm -mm. You don't know Mitch Hedberg, dude. After this, go on YouTube, type in Mitch Hedberg. Just watch fifteen minutes of him. He's great. Just a bunch of one liners, real silly. Anyway, that's what I wanted to do because. 
I thought like that was the purest way of being a comedian. Um, and I tried that for like three or four months and it was rough. And, and it wasn't until I started doing jokes about being Muslim that one of my, one of my friends who I met through doing these open mics, a comedian named Pablo, he told me like, you need to talk about being Muslim more because like people are interested in that. That's like interesting and it's different. And it gives you some, you know, it gives you a, a perspective that, you know, just being an 18 year old boy doesn't really, that doesn't hold up, you know, going on stage when you're 18, unless you, unless you make that your thing. Like I'm a kid, I'm young, which I wasn't doing because I knew that that has a, a really short lifespan. You can't talk about being young for that long. Um, and then I started talking about being Muslim and that made it a lot better because then now suddenly I have this whole ocean of, of, uh, uh, you know, news and ideas and, you know, stereotypes and these things that, that I could play off of and, and talk about that only I know about. Um, so yeah, that's how, that's how the Muslim thing works. And, and how did that kind of, how did your Muslim identity, because a lot of the times comedy is often intertwined with being vulgar, uh, having to curse a lot, having to talk about sex, you know, always speaking about private parts. A lot of, a lot of comedians struggle to be funny without being vulgar uh so how are you able to kind of mediate between being muslim and, and doing comedy hmm. i mean I, I was pretty vulgar and i think i can i dip into being vulgar here and there with my stand-up um and i just i think of it as you know is it is it haram to be vulgar i don't I don't know if it's it's strictly forbidden in Islam to say something vulgar w with the intention of being funny. I mean, I'm sure it's in the gray area. I'm sure it's, you know, to throw, throw a little makru, which means, you know, it means not preferred, that, but it's not haram. Something can be makru, but it doesn't mean it's forbidden. Like smoking cigarettes, for example, is makru. It's not hardcore forbidden. It's not like alcohol but it's bad for you and you shouldn't do it. Um, I would, so that's how I, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I, I would push back with you and say that, that there are things that indicate that being vulgar in your speech is haram and, and it, it's not a sign of, uh, uh, or it's not a good sign of a Muslim to, to be a Muslim is not a line and a Muslim is not a cursor, but yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Like, you know, it, it's not one of those things that's like, you know, you're drinking or having sex. It's not a big, it's not a big haram. It's like a, on a smaller mm. scale haram level. You know, it's not, it's not one of the big sins. Interesting. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I also think there are exceptions that can be made. Um, I think there's some story from the, from the time of the prophet, peace be upon him, about one of his companions before a battle putting on a, like a red scarf. I can't remember the man's name. Um, and he was doing like a dance and being really haughty and really arrogant. And the companions turned to the prophet. They were like, isn't that, isn't that wrong that he's doing that? And the prophet said, no, it's paraphrasing, obviously. But he said something to the effect of like, it's fine given that they're about to, he's about to go to a battle so he can be a little bit arrogant. It's different. You know, he's not just being in his regular life. Yeah. So, he said, uh, not to cut you off. He, he said, please, uh, this is hated by a lot everywhere other than here. 
there you go. Yeah. So is it battle to go on stage? Obviously not, but there is exceptions clearly. Um, and I'm not celebrating anything. If I'm being vulgar, I don't think I, if I'm ever talking about something vulgar, I don't know that I'm in support of it. So yeah, I mean, this is a good question. What, uh, what are your thoughts? If you were to be a Muslim comedian, how would you talk honestly on stage or would you talk honestly on stage about things like sex or would you completely avoid it? I mean that I even struggle with this podcast as to how far I can go because I, at the same time, I, what I like about you is that you're not faking who you are. Like if you curse outside of the comedy stand up, then it's it would be odd for you not to curse on the st- stand up stage because then you're kind of just being kind of fake. I don't I don't necessarily I think everyone's at different stages and levels in life and I don't think it's necessarily bad to be honest at where you are in life and honest with others as well as to where you are in life. So if you're like, "Hey man, listen, I'm not at the level where I'm not going to be sitting there cursing." And everything that I say sounds holy. Uh, but at the same time, I am Muslim. I love being, I love Islam. Uh, I love prayer. I love Allah. I love God. I, I love God. I love Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. I say peace be upon him after I say his name. Then, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I I think it's kind of like, it's the same thing with Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson is like that. I'm going to, I'm going to take shrooms in front of you on the podcast. I'm going to, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to smoke. I'm going to. But at the same time, Allah is the greatest. And at the same time, you'll catch me praying in stores behind my trainer. You know, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a little bit. It's, it's just it's just part of being alive in, in 2022. But though, you know, people were, were dealing with these problems forever, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I try to be a little bit lenient with myself because the act of doing stand up is so. Um, it's difficult, you know, it's, 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 it's like a, I don't know, it's like a, a boxing match. Like it is difficult to get up there and deliver things you thought of in the right way and get the right reaction. You know what I mean? Yeah. And ideal, though, ideally I try not to be too vulgar because it does, it, it does uh, lessen and weaken your material if you're too, you're too dirty yeah and you're dealing with something different than other comedians have to which is you have to deal with uh islam kind of being like tugging at you being like hey don't don't forget about me and your muslim identity saying don't forget about me and that's kind of what we're talking about i'm interested in kind of how that battle in your mind goes like do you struggle do you think about that like is this the first time uh, you've really thought about the hmm, should I be cursing or should I be talking about cursing? Honestly, I'm gonna throw cursing on the side, that doesn't matter at all. Should I really be talking about having sex with because this is what other comedians do, not necessarily you having sex with my wife and having sex with girlfriends and, and stuff like this? Or you know, how, how did you kind of figure that out in your brain? I think I'm still figuring it out. I, I don't know. I mean, it goes into broader questions, you know, like. It, what's wrong with talking about having sex with your wife? I, I'm not totally sure I, I know what the problem is with that. 
other than it's indecent. But are we, so, are we, you know, what's the ideal is that we live in a society where we don't discuss sexuality at all? You know, I don't know. I, I get bogged down in, in, in thoughts like that when I, when I think about it for myself, because I don't like, I, don't, I just don't know. Though I don't know if I've talked about sex very much on stage over the years. I, I guess I talk about sexuality broadly, but not, not about coitus <laughs> or intercourse uh, necessarily. Um, no, I probably do. Yeah, I have, a, I have a joke right now that's about sex. It's pretty dirty. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah, I do. I do. I do, I do some, some pretty dirty stuff. But it's not the focal point. And so for that reason, I feel like I'm okay. You're let you're definitely because I, I I've watched yourself. You're definitely way less vulgar than a day to day comedian, like no doubt. Day to day comedian. That's that's a good term. A day to day comedian. I like that. <laughs> so okay, but here's here's my thought with with what you're doing. Right, is these are these are minor sins that we're talking about. They're not major. You're not sitting there backbiting or or having sex or you know, having sex outside of marriage or drinking and stuff like that. You're just, your speech isn't Islamic, quote unquote, right? Necessarily right. because you're doing stand-up comedy. But in my mind, at least me personally, and I, I'm not a scholar and I don't represent the Muslim community. I'm just representing myself right now. You going out there and portraying us in a new light, in a new brand, uh, mm. outside of the way the media looks at us, you making people laugh and loving you therefore loving islam because they're like wait i hate muslims and then it's like don't you like Ismail my look for you and they're like oh right yeah i guess i don't hate muslims too much right like the 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 positive effect you're sure. having on the view of islam outweighs in my opinion these minor sins that we're discussing yeah god willing i mean that that's really sweet of you to say um i would I would hope so. I would hope that's the case because I mean, I've had that, I've had that happen after shows where somebody has come up to me and been like, Oh, I was in Afghanistan and I hated Muslims, but I thought, I, I thought you were really funny and I, and I liked you. So I have experienced that, which is, I've never thought of it in this way of like, ah, I hope, hopefully that's counterbalancing whatever haram I'm committing on stage by, by uh, cussing. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'm, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad I, 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 because that's how I viewed you. Like immediately when sure. I saw that is I was like, I don't care that he's making all these remarks. Cause I make them too. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and he's actually putting us in a good light and he's representing right. us well. And he's not sitting there. Cause a lot of people, like some of the Muslims that I see, they don't even, they're like, oh, I, my parents are Muslim. Like so, some of the Muslim comedians that I watch. Oh, my parents are Muslim. I grew up Muslim, but me, you know, I'm agnostic. Right, right. I haven't thought about this stuff in, in probably since before I ever did stand up. I, I didn't really think about. I haven't thought about the um, contradictions and the uh, the struggles that I would experience. Um, but yeah, you know, it's funny thing about that with Muslim comedians who who are just sort of Muslim in name only. I used to really get angry about that when I was early on in standup because every comedian who's not successful 
is a very bitter, angry person. And even comedians who are successful a lot of the time are really bitter and jealous and stuff. But I remember early on living in Gainesville and then later I lived in Atlanta and Los Angeles. And I would see Muslim comedians who I knew did drugs and I knew were not practicing Muslims, but they would go on stage and be like, so I'm Muslim and I get so, so mad. I get angry at it because like, they're lying and they're, they're using it. But it's, as I got older, I, the more I realized it's, it's not up to me, you know, let people say what they're going to say. It's totally fine that people are going to um, sort of appropriate or, uh, uh, you know, they're going to turn this thing that, that they don't actually live by into something that they can make money off of. Because, you know, you never know. Maybe somebody is actually Muslim. Maybe somebody who you think, maybe somebody who I presume is a, is a bad or, or, a, or a liar when they're talking about Islam secretly does pray and they're just embarrassed to mention, you know, who, who knows? Who, it's, it, it's all out of our hands, right? And then, then I look at myself and I'm like, I'm not a perfect Muslim. I miss prayers all the time and, and you know, I've committed some, some sins. So I don't know. The more I thought about it, the more I realized I was just jealous that people were more successful than I was. And it didn't, it, it wasn't coming from this place that was really pure. Huh. you know yeah what has been your relationship with god throughout this entire journey how, how long have you been doing stand-up for i've been doing comedy for 10 years Not 10 so years and i guess i i grew up very very religious but i didn't internalize it you know because you when you're a kid and you're going did you grow up religious i feel like you grew up really yeah. in a devout family yeah. Where's your family from, by the way? You look, you look Algerian. Egypt. Very good. <laughs> yeah. So you can grow up really religious, but then you don't, like, like you, you, you feel it, but you don't internalize it, kind of. And that's how it was for me for a long time. Like, I was, I was religious. I thought of myself as, like, I'm a good Muslim. Um, after I moved out of the house, I was like, oh, no, I am still a good Muslim. And then maybe five years into standup, I realized that I didn't, that I didn't, I don't really pray. <laughs> and, um, and I'm not really like that committed to, to spirituality or to, you know, memorizing surahs, chapters of the Quran, stuff like that, that you do when you're a little kid and it's sort of forced upon you. I realized I had let kind of go away. Right. Even though I still, I didn't drink, I wasn't doing this, I was that. So in my mind, I was like, I'm still a Muslim. And it wasn't until I befriended, um, Rami Yusuf, very successful Muslim comedian too. Who I wonder, I, I wonder what your thoughts are about Rami talking about sex. But um, it wasn't until I met Rami that I started praying five times a day. We we probably started being friends maybe six years ago, and he prayed five times a day. He was like, "You got, dude, you got to pray. You got to wake up for Fajr, bro." And then I started doing it because of him. So I've definitely become way more devout over the last six-ish years um, since I had him in my life and we, we, we became uh, friends because I realized it's possible. I realized, oh, you can pray Maghrib at a comedy show. You just have to find a weird place where no one will find you. You know what I mean? But if you put the effort in, you can pray five times a day. You can actually fulfill these requirements that are, that are obligatory upon us, right? So I've only become, you know, God willing, only become more religious as, as time has gone on. 
So you, you've never had a faith crisis. Like I, I, I personally had a faith crisis um, throughout my, or at least at some point in my life where it's like, do I really believe in this? Do I, should I let this go? Or should I keep going down the path that I'm going? Like, should I let go of Islam or keep going down the path that I'm going? And I, I, I at the end, I chose Islam. But that's not necessarily the, the choice everyone makes. And I'm wondering, kind of, did you have this conversation with yourself as well? Uh, am I really Muslim? Do I really believe in this stuff? There, there were definitely a few times when I thought to myself, am I just Muslim? This was early on. This was maybe the first three years of comedy when I was still in Gainesville, still in the college town. Um, there were times when I thought like, am I just Muslim because of the jokes? Because because it gives me something to talk about. Like I did have that thought. Um, and I came to the conclusion, like, even if I wasn't a Muslim, even if I was, an, even if I decided to be an atheist, even if I, I lost all my belief, I could still be, I could still do all my jokes. Like it's not because of the comedy. I'm not doing it for my career because if anything, not being a practicing Muslim would probably help my career if we're being honest. Um, but yeah, I've definitely had those, those conversations with myself here and there um, years ago. But one time when I lived in Atlanta, Georgia, I had just moved there for comedy after college. And I went to this masjid, beautiful big masjid, um, in like midtown Atlanta. It's got a minaret, it looks real, you know, Middle Eastern, it's real pretty. And I was going, I was in the bathroom to make wudu and this guy was making wudu in the sink. Wudu is the ablution that Muslims have to make before prayer. You do your arms, you do your face. It's a whole wet kind of fiasco. Every Muslim bathroom is the nightmare. It's just water everywhere. But um, uh, this guy was making wudu in the sink as opposed to the ablution area, right? And this man walked in, this was a guy who worked for the mosque, this like tall, like Nigerian man walked in and started yelling at this guy for making ablution in the sink. And he shoved him. He shoved the man who was making wudu off the sink physically. And uh, I got so, I was like flabbergasted by this. It made me so angry. I, I like found somebody who worked at the mosque. I was like, there's this guy who, shoving people because he's not they're not following the rules like it's insane and that night i i had a real crisis of faith that night i was like i don't know if i'm gonna pray i didn't pray a shot i made it i made a point to not stop for a lie i asked god forgiveness for that but that's probably the one crisis of faith that i've ever genuinely had where i felt like so detached from it um and ironically it happened because i went to the mosque so muslims are yeah. not the best for your faith all the time being around us, we can uh, we can really throw some uh, some curveballs into your belief system. Absolutely, no, I agree. Yeah. Especially the more conservative they are, the yes, sometimes, yeah. And, and it's funny because the more you learn about Islam, like uh, the scholar wrote that the more you learn about Islam, the more lenient you become. So a lot of these guys believe that they are uh, m m these scholars or these really knowledgeable dudes, but really they're mostly usually worshipers. They're very good at worship uh, yes. and they don't learn much. And so they're very conservative. Okay. So Hassan Minhaj, I'm curious about, cause you worked with, who else did you work with? That's a, a popular Muslim celebrity. Um, those are the two. I, I don't, I haven't worked with um, 
any of the others, I don't think. How many Muslim celebrities do we have? I don't know. In, I mean, the, in, the, com- in the world of comedy, I mean, it's sort of Rami, Hassan. That might be Mo, it. Mo Ammer. Mo, 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 I don't really know Mo very well, no. Okay. but um, He's recent, for sure. Yeah, and he's, he's also somewhat in the, um, the RCU, the Rami Cinematic Universe, I'd say. Really? He's, he's in that world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to put him down. That's just. Are you in the Rami Cinematic (laughs) Universe? I didn't even Uh, know that was a thing. Yes, yes, I am. I mean, I've worked with. I think you know, if you work for somebody, you become kind of a part a part of their project somewhat. Um, But no, no, you know what? Mo is completely transcendent. Yeah, he's 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 doing his own thing now. I take that back. Yeah, yeah. What about? So you worked with Hassan Minhaj, and you're friends with Rami, not just worked with, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Both, both. Me and Rami are buddies. Yeah. So tell me about that relationship. What's what's Rami like? Uh, you said he had such he had such a positive effect on you. He he influenced you in many ways or convinced you to start praying again. Like that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. You know, Rami would be yeah. like that. So I, I'm I'm interested. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't think it, right? He's he's a real cool cat, but um, that's the truth of it, man. Like I met him and. Um, we met at Eid Prayer in Los Angeles years ago, and we've known we known each other about each other forever. And it was cool to just like immediately meet this guy. And he immediately felt like a cousin, you know. Immediately was like, "Oh, this is this is my aunt Ghazal's son." Like that's how it felt. And we just started, uh, you know, hanging out and, uh, yeah, real positive positive influence for sure. Because yeah. he's 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 a very light guy, you know. He feels like a like a ray of light. Yeah. Does he help you or you help him with writing jokes, stuff like that? We haven't worked together with stand-up um, very much. Like, I haven't opened for him a ton. We've, we've worked together, the comedy seller here and there. So, yeah, in those instances, I think uh, we've probably tagged each other's jokes. That's when you, you know, give each other, give when comedians give each other punchline and stuff that's so what was the relationship based off of them was it just a straight friendship outside of the work world it was no no it's based it was based on being uh muslim comedians that that was sort of the connecting tissue because being a comedian you know i don't i don't remember who said this i think it might have been a chris rock quote but it's something to the effect of when you see a comedian at a party it's like you immediately have ten thousand things in common um so seeing a comedian who's also Muslim is like, that's 10,001. So that, that would give you a huge, um, you know, it's a huge thing to, to meet another Muslim comedian who's doing it and is doing well. Um, thank God. So yeah, it, it was definitely that combo that, that bonded us. And also we had a mutual friend. We have a mutual friend named Ahmed Weinberg, who is a super funny guy who is also Muslim. Sufi is very is a you should interview Ahmed. He's a, he's a weirdo, and I mean that he's one of my best friends. He's, he's, His last name's Weinberg. That's a Jewish last name. Yeah, very good observation. He's a, <laughs> he's a Jewish Muslim. His his father is a Jewish convert and his mother is a Catholic convert, and he was raised in a uh, Sufi um, commune in Philadelphia. Um, that has this like, uh, I'm trying to think of a word that's not derogatory. 
but they, they have like this mystical leader that they love who's from Sri Lanka and who's very, he's dead. He's been dead for years and years, but he, he was basically brought over from Sri Lanka to Philadelphia um, by, by a group of Jewish converts. And he sort of just like ruled over this like community of people that, <laughs> that were all named like Hamza Applebaum and, and you know, Muhammad uh, <laughs> Cohen and stuff. And uh, it's a really interesting story. You should talk to Muhammad. So he, he was like the link because Rami was friends with Ahmed and I was best friends with Ahmed. And that, that's how we kind of all got together. And Ahmed also has worked for Rami. Rami's done a lot. I'll say this, Muslim celebrities employ Muslim comedians a lot. So I really, you know, you got to love them. They're, they're good folks. That's awesome. Did you work with him on the show, Rami? Yeah, we were. Well, neither of us have worked on the show, Rami, but uh, we both worked on a new project that he's got going on. Uh, that's an animated show. That's about a Muslim family after 9-11. So, um, is that on Netflix? Is that the one that's... It's not out yet. It, it comes out in, I don't know, a year or two. I'm not totally sure when it comes out. But oh, yeah. very cool. Yeah, so yeah. you knew Hassan Minhaj and, and or worked with Hassan Minhaj and, and friend or know Rama Yusuf. What would hmm. you say is the, hmm. the, the, the takeaway you've gotten from interacting with both of them? Well, they're both um you know workhorses that's probably the most uh noticeable thing about both of them. they're both always working i don't i don't know i i uh i wish i i had something more insightful to say but that's that's just the fact of of having uh you know these relationships yeah i'm not, I'm not i wouldn't say i wouldn't say i'm in the the inner circle for either of them i'm not like Rami's best friend so i don't have a ton of insight and even if i were i doubt i, I would feel comfortable sharing it but i mean what what I know of him is um, that he's a he's, he's a sweetheart and and Hassan is a is a fucking just a he's a, an ox like the dude is just doing all sorts of stuff all the time, you know. Yeah, who's who's your favorite stand up comedian? Then, would you say my favorite stand up comedian? Uh, I'd probably have to have three. Uh, Rory, do you know Rory Scovel? No man, you keep throwing at me these com- like I'm into stand up. You're just you're you know what it is. You're a deep state. Lo- I'm a deep deep state comedian. Sure, I'll yeah. take that. That's what people on YouTube accuse me of. Anyway, um, <laughs> but <laughs> no, Rory's great. Rory, uh, okay, yeah. Well, who did I mention? Mitch Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg is like a classic comedian. Like you need to just know Mitch Hedberg. He's a great. He he died in like 2005, but he's just one of these beloved one-liner comedians. Um, but Rory is, is not the same caliber as like Mitch Hedberg. People, people say Mitch Hedberg's one of the best who ever, who ever did it, right? Rory, I would say that, but that's because he's my favorite. Like I personally think he's incredible. So Rory Scovel, super funny guy, very silly comedian. Um, and Louis CK is, a, is another, is a, the other favorite. He's incredible. Really? Okay. Yeah, I know that's, you know, become a little bit unpopular to say, but that's just, I don't know. Do I no, I just, I, yeah. I personally, like, he's not, he's not up there for me. So just. Really? Yeah. Who are you guys? Well, let me hear your third one first, and I'll tell you mine. My third one would probably be uh, Doug Stanhope would probably be my third one. Who's another, he, he's a very cult 
following. He's, he's popular. He's a huge fan base, but they're not mainstream people at all. He's a real weirdo, too. Hmm. Doug Stanhope's a favorite, yeah. I would say mine is Dave Chappelle. Oh, really? Okay. Like, yeah. Sure, yeah. But yeah. He, he's a Muslim stand-up comedian. You should try to get in touch with him. He's Muslim. <laughs> I mean, uh, is he, though? Yeah, I guess he is. Oh, he is. Yeah. He, okay, he was yeah, you're right, you're just right. talking to whatever yeah. his name is, Jay Leno, Letterman. Or, no, Letterman about it. Yeah, just telling right. the story of Zamzam and everything. That's right, that's right. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, Dave, Dave, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, Bill Burr, I love Bill Burr, love Bill Burr too. Bill's great, Bill's an incredible comedian, truly like a genius. And that this one's a hard one because I love Norm MacDonald. Um, yeah, hey, these are good, these are good choices. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you like them. I, I mean, the two first ones are kind of, kind of classic ones to say, I guess. Sure. Right no, yeah, I would say Bill, Bill Burr. It's, it's funny. He, when I first started comedy, he was not anywhere near as popular as he is now. Now he's, he's basically a household name. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. When people talk about stand up, they, they bring up Bill Burr. It's like, I remember when I started, I didn't like him when I started because I thought he was too, like. I don't know. I remember thinking, like, oh, this guy is like t- too angry or something. Um, but I aged into it. Now I'm like, now he's, he, if I had to do a 10, he'd probably be in the 10. He's so good. Yeah. How about, how about Joe Rogan? How do you feel about Joe Rogan? Cause he has a whole podcast where he invites all these po- uh, stand up comedians and stuff. Yeah. Joe Rogan, um, I don't love him. Um, because personally not a huge fan of his comedy i don't think it's ever been very good no offense to anyone who likes him this is just my my personal feelings and the problem with the podcast is that he's he mostly has on guests of a very similar persuasion you know that's been and i i listen to it once in a while i'm not like one of these people who's against him having a platform or being famous or being a you know, the most listened to person. I, I get it. He does some stuff that's pretty interesting, but he interviews a lot of the same types of folks. You know, he's never had somebody on the, on the left um, or not, not, at least not enough to counterbalance the amount that he's having people that are, you know, fringe far right wing, you know, uh, uh, white supremacist type people. And I'm not somebody who bandies about those terms willy-nilly i'm not one of these i'm not a liberal loser but it is just objectively if you look at the number of people he has on he's goes to the far right and very rarely interviews people from the far left that's my issue with you know that would be okay if he advertised himself as such the problem is he advertises himself and brands himself as like this free thinker that's willing to observe the entire universe in a non-biased way it's like you're 55 or something man there's no way you're a free thinker you know like you're set in your ways right and 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 whenever i do listen to him and i listen probably once a month to an episode he he ends up just kind of regurgitating talking points that you'll hear on fox but he says them slowly as if he's high and it feels like he's coming up with something original and it's like you're just you're just saying that you want low taxes if you're rich. Like you're not doing any, you're not saying anything that, that, you know, inspired right now. Um, 
and I don't like I don't love that. I don't love listening to millionaires talk about, you know, how taxes are bad, how their finances are going. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit. Um, it's a little bit frustrating. So, so, speaking about that realm, yeah. how about your entry into Hollywood and your entry into the celebrity world? Did, how's that experience been so far? Um. Well, how do you mean? What do you mean by celebrity world? You know, now now you're hanging out with probably higher level people and meeting agents that are like, hmm, you know, people that are now looking at you and seeing a lot of self-interest that they can, maybe they look at you and see a money bag or, or, or <laughs> wait, you know what I mean? Like uh, you have an environment around you that is different than if you were just a regular employee that that's a computer scientist or a doctor, like you said, in your family. Uh, you're more in the public sphere. How's that been? Hmm. It's, it, it's, you know, it, it's been a process, you know, I, I was very averse to anything Hollywood or anything. Um, there's something called networking, which I'm sure you know of, but it's a real thing when you live in LA. I had, I moved to LA for, you know, six years ago, maybe. And I lived there for two years before I came to New York for work for Patriot Act. And I hated it because it's everything they say about it. Like it is very phony there. It is very artificial and, and um, people are nice to you in this way that you just feels dirty. Um, so it took me a long time to realize that you have to balance uh, these sort of ideas of be, what it means to be like a real person uh, with uh, uh, a level of um, comfort with being kind of, uh, you know, handshaky and, and, and polite and all this stuff that definitely comes across as fake when you live in it. So my first example, my first dealing with that was, was I did this comedy festival in Montreal called Just for Laughs um, years ago, 2016. And Just for Laughs, it's like a bit, it used to be a huge deal in comedy. It used to be the biggest festival in the world you go to just for laughs like in the 90s you would go to just for laughs if they if they tapped you for it and then you perform on the showcase or whatever and then you get a sitcom like that's how kevin james got king of queens that's how raymond you know ray romano got everybody loves raymond it was like this this festival made people's lives right and it's not that anymore and that's just the, the nature of all of the comedy industry and all of show business has changed so radically that nothing that mattered in the 90s matters the same way now. Um, so I did this festival and it was my first like foray into being a networky person and like meeting people that their whole world is networking. Their whole world is like shaking hands and um, seeming cool and stuff. And I fucking hated it a lot. And I still hate it. Um, but... I, I have to challenge my hatred for it. And, and I, I wonder, is it that I hate it because I'm so cool or is it that I hate it because I don't have, you know, a, 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 like a pilot that's getting sold or like a, I don't have like a big acting career right now. You know what I mean? I don't know if, if I would like it if I was, if I was hot shit suddenly and I went there and they were all like tapping me on the shoulder. Like, hey, how are you doing? Um, I do, I naturally do have an aversion to it because it, my upbringing was very, yeah, I was, I was brought up to be very humble and very um, shy when it came to boasting or 
you know, even just meeting people, I was taught to be very, very polite and stuff. So I've been working on that, you know, but I, I see, I wonder, I wonder what you're asking. Are you asking me about, um, like, do, here, here's what I'm trying to get at. When I was 15, I went to a comedy show with my older brother, who's 10 years older than me. And we saw this Muslim comedian named Asif Ali, who is actually a very successful comedian. He's, he's best friends with Hassan. They go back um, years. So we, go, we saw this comedy show with Asif Ali and he was great. And it was the first comedy show I'd ever been to. And then afterwards he was hanging out and my brother started talking to him and he asked him, and my brother's a very religious guy. And my brother asked Asif, he goes, so do they, do they make you do cocaine? to get successful like like you you're a muslim comedian but do you have to do do in la do they make you do cocaine and he like laughed and i don't remember what he said but it was it, he was very uncomfortable <laughs> with the question so um is that what you're asking do you want to know if if, if i'm doing cocaine with with uh, <laughs> hollywood people that's how i feel a little bit with you asking this which i, I kind of get there's a very uh, just intrinsic distrust of people that are in show business in America for some reason. And, and I, I get it. I think show business is disgusting, but to answer your question, if that's what it is, nobody's forcing anybody to do cocaine. <laughs> no, I guess my intention with it, well, what my intention was with it is, you know, young Muslims or yeah, young Muslims who are listening to this, that, that are thinking about a stand up comedy career or thinking about acting career because I want Muslims and we should want Muslims to enter the media realm more and more and, and enter these public figure realms more and more. We need influential positions. We need to do what the Jewish community has done so well, which is enter very influential positions, uh, even if they're a minority. Uh, so I, I'm just curious is if there's like a roadmap or if there's like a, a experience advice you can give to anyone that's Muslim trying to enter the public figure realm what your experience with it so far has been and what you've learned. Why do you think, why do you think we need more Muslim influence, more uh, Muslim, you know, famous people? Can I ask you why you think that? Because that's what runs the world now. Like even when they said that, when the internet was created, they thought that the internet would be this power wave of information, but instead it became a power wave of influence. That's really what, what actually ended up happening. So Muslims need to enter that realm because when 9-11 happened or when wars happen, we're not the ones speaking for ourselves. We have Judeo-Christian thoughts speaking for us and, and saying these are what this is what Islam is, this is what Muslims are, and so on and so forth. And again, people like Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, Dave Chappelle, to an extent, but those who come out and say I'm Muslim and are also succeeding on a public mm. realm, or if they're even like a, a judge or a politician, any yeah. of these things, it gives us power, it gives us stability, mm. and it gives us a voice. Maybe. I, I'm actually very critical or cynical of, of representation um, the, the older I get. I, I actually don't know if I really agree with you because I don't think Muslims being represented in media is really going to affect very much change. That's my, my view. I, I don't think, you know, I don't think there is ever going to be a moment where they're about to drone strike a wedding and they go, ah, but that season of Rami, 
you know what I mean? Like there, there's, there's only so much that representation can do. And I, and I don't, I don't know if it, if it, if it helps very much. And I only say that because I see this a lot. I do, I go to, a, I've been to plenty of Muslim events that are about Muslims in the media and they have this kind of perspective where they're like, well, we need more Muslims on, on TV. We need more Muslim actors and we need more Muslim, um, you know, famous people because if people know us, then there will be less blah, blah, blah. I don't, I don't think that's true though. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there, if there's any evidence for that being the case. I don't know, you know, are, are, are we going to avoid war with Iran because there's Muslims on TV? I don't, I don't think it matters. I, I just, I think the truth of it is Muslims want to get rich and want to be successful. And I think that's okay. I think that's totally fine to, to want to be rich and successful. I want to be rich and successful. But I don't know if it, it matters in a global way. I don't know if it affects the world, really. That's, that's just my, my two cents on, on the issue. Um, what would you say? Pushback, yeah. What, what would you say then matters? Because, for example, how Muslims are represented on Netflix and stuff, where a woman is tearing off her hijab and suddenly she's now feeling freedom, right? Like these subtle things that, that slowly affect us without us even recognizing what, when I was younger, I slowly started wanting to be a, a white kid because that's all I saw in movies and in stuff like that. Really? Yeah. I, really? Yeah, man. Like you, you get affected by what you're constantly being fed. Like your mind is a sponge. So if you're sure. constantly being fed that white is right and Muslim is wrong, then even within ourselves as Muslims, and this is kind of what you even touch upon, you start, there's starting to become this self-hatred, this internalized racism or hatred towards oneself that ends up happening. Disney now, right? So they're starting to become Muslim producers and Muslim writers and Muslim directors. And, and one of them even directed the new Marvel series. I'm not sure which, I think it was Loki, right? Yeah. Just even that, like she gets to dictate, it's a she, I'm trying to get her on this at some point, but she gets to dictate that Loki won't be sitting there talking about Muslims in a bad way, for example, right? Like I, there's this new Disney movie where all over the place, it's called Red. I don't know if you watched it. It's Red. Where no, I don't. I don't watch any uh, any superhero stuff. But go on. Go ahead. She, she's a no. She's not even a superhero. She's like a. It's a cartoon for kids. She's a Asian American girl, and she turns into a red panda. Re real odd, but pretty cool movie. Dude. But everywhere in the background <laughs> there was hijabi woman. Like everywhere in the background there was hijabi woman. And so that's that's the difference. Is when you're young, when you're a young white American kid. And you're starting to see hijab in in your media and you're starting to see beards or you're starting to see these things they're subtle but when you see them in person they're no longer weird and so you may actually no longer have to go through that barrier of this seems weird to me and could go right to the let me check out islam or let me be friends with this muslim it, it normalizes us and that's important because right now we're not or historically since 9 11 we're not normal. We've always been portrayed as like, I even had the president of care council on American and Islamic relations on last week. And he was talking, he sued Hollywood hundreds of times because they constantly portray uh, the, the terrorist group as, as Arab and Muslim. It's like terrorist groups can be Asian. They could be South America. They could be white. They could be anything. Right. right. So that's kind of what I mean. Interesting. But I what, mean do you, I, what do you think should be then? No, I just, I just know that okay here's an example when what decade 
did black Americans receive the most uh, just revolutionary change in American, in recent American history? What was, what were the years that black Americans got more rights? The, the, the late, the sixties, sixties. Yeah. The sixties. That's when the civil rights movement, that's when there was the, most, the biggest, you know, since the civil war, the biggest uh, turnaround in uh, uh, upward mobility and uh, access to citizenship and access to what it means to be an American, et cetera, all that good stuff. Now, how much representation was there of black Americans in TV and film at that time? Very little, virtually none. I mean, maybe Muhammad Ali once in a while. There were not to say there weren't black celebrities and black, you know, heroes and stuff, but they weren't on TV and movies. My point in bringing that up is my issue with representation is that I feel like it ends up lulling minorities into a sense of comfort and stability that is not real. And not having representation might actually help people be more galvanized to affect actual change. You know, I, I'm, I'm very much in, in that, in this, this worldview that is um, opposed to the media as a, as a, a you know, a factor that can help re revolution or help changing society because the media is entrenched in the establishment of what makes America run the way it does. You mentioned the Jewish, uh, Jewish Americans as an example of like media representation and stuff, but I, I don't know if Jewish people being represented in media positively is what has given them an edge politically when it comes to issues like Israel and Palestine. I think that has a lot more to do with, um, you know, larger issues outside of the media, right? Outside of representation. I, I just, I'm skeptical anytime corporations start uh, getting on the bandwagon with any sort of uh, social issue. So corporations getting involved in like, you know, Pride Month, I'm very skeptical of. Corporations getting involved in you know, there's this new Muslim superhero girl, like anything that's like, anything where Disney is now doing it, I go, this is, there's something evil about this because Disney is evil. All these people are, are the biggest evil creatures. On a personal level, whoever that girl is, that new Muslim superhero, God, you know, God bless her. That's awesome. Proud of her. She, that's good. Be, become wealthy and successful. But I just find it phony to, to think that it's anything other than that because I didn't have any representation as a kid and I, I didn't give a fuck I didn't care at all there was a lab that was it so for me I was like I don't know you know what I mean I, I don't know how what would it have done if I had seen more brown people on tv would I be even more inspired I don't know I don't know I'm, just, I'm very critical of it. no and, and I agree with you to an extent uh because for example Malcolm X himself wrote in his book that liberals are more of a danger than than conservatives right. to the Black American movement because liberals lull Black Americans to sleep, like like exactly, you're and they they will be like, yeah, we agree with you, and Black Americans are like, yeah, okay, you agree with me, cool, right, and sit back, but nothing right. ever happens, right? So it's much, it's a much clearer enemy. The conservatives are a much clearer right. enemy, while liberals usually tend to be stabbing you behind your back. Absolutely, I mean. The, the problem with trying to solve issues through the media is that you have to immediately accept their, their terms. You know, you have to, you have to agree to 
what they view as the ideal. Um, and by the way, I get that it's very ironic because I work in television and show business, but, but again, I just want to be successful and, and, and I, I want to be able to say things that I believe are true. But anyway, when you want to achieve change through the mainstream, you have to accept them. And, and there, one of my favorite authors is this, this uh, guy named Adolf Reed. Um, he was born before World War II. Uh, but he has, he always says this really great thing about the liberals ideal worldview or the, uh, the, the, the utopia for, for the modern American liberal is that 1% of the population rules over 99% in this exploitative, oppressive, um, you know, capitalist system. But that 1% has a black guy in it and a gay guy in it and a trans woman in it. And it's a very, it's all the colors of the rainbow in that 1% that's exploiting the 99%. And that's how I feel when I hear people that are really want, you know, that they think representation is going to change the world. It's like, uh, I don't, I don't think it is. I, I would much rather there be less representation and less bombings of, you know, people in Yemen and stuff. Right. I, I, I it doesn't, it doesn't feel like those two are really connected though. Okay, I get you. So why yeah. do you want to be a comedian? Why do you want to be rich and famous then? Like, why do you want to be a comedian? I want to be a comedian because it's fun to do comedy. Th this is the thing. We, so I, we're so divorced in America. We're so divorced from the government and from the power structure affecting change in our lives that the only avenue that we can see actual change is through culture, right? Which is why all we have are culture wars. But they're meaningless. You know, all these culture wars are, are very meaningless. They don't actually end up, they, they only end up helping the right every single time. Every culture war ends up uh, uh, militarizing the right wing in this country is, is my view. So uh, that, that's, that's why I think any comedian who's like, no, I'm on a moral journey to change how people view. I'm like, get out of here. Like that's John Stewart, like God bless him. He's one of my biggest influences, but he, it didn't, didn't matter that he was doing all that with the daily show. It didn't actually matter. John Kerry lost like the established, like none of, none of it matters. And that's okay. That's the other part. Clause number one, it does comedy and all this stuff. Doesn't matter. Clause number two, that's fine. I can be, it can, you're allowed to have things that are just for fun. You know? Okay. So for example, what I would envision for you is if you became rich and famous, you would use your platform to, no. to help Muslims and, inshallah and and uh, and use your money to to start a foundation or you know uh donate to, to muslim foundations and help them become more powerful and stronger in this country like like stuff like that actually matters you know does it though i i, I have to push back on that because we have plenty of millionaire muslims we got tons of money money is not an issue for the muslim community right numbers aren't an issue we have we, we're one of the richest minorities in the country, I think. I think we're probably top ten up there. Yeah, with, per capita. Yeah. East Asians and all that. Yeah, we're doing very well. And, and if if being rich and having rich members of society in your in your niche in your racial niche equaled things getting better in the system, which is what all the problem—that's what we're talking about—the system, right? Then we would we would be living in like a utopia right now because we have so many rich Muslims. But okay. inshallah, like if I were to get rich, of course, I would I would hope to um, be helping people because that's 
personally a good thing to do and it's good to if you want to go to heaven etc right yeah i got a question for you because actually i was say that my third my third and we got like five minutes left here okay uh my my third favorite comedian would actually be andrew schultz oh interesting okay yeah i love andrew schultz andrew's uh, a good guy one of the things that I noticed is when I search you up on YouTube, all of your segments are not pro- not produced by you. Like, for example, it's either Comedy Central or Just for Laughs or any of these guys. Uh, do you have your own channel on YouTube? I don't. I don't okay. have a YouTube channel. Yeah. I would I would recommend or I advise for you, at least like on a personal level, start a YouTube channel because what Andrew Schultz did is is brilliant. Andrew Schultz and his team recognized that comedians were start even the biggest ones like all of them were start were starting to have an issue with people watching them for a full hour, people watching them for a full 45 minutes. So mm-hmm. Andrew Schultz cuts his videos up to 5 to 7 minute segments and what he ended up finding was people would binge watch those 5 to 7 minute segments for 2 hours. So the right. sa- so the same comedians that are bigger than him had struggled to them being 30 minutes to an hour others were watching him for two hours i think you'd get i think you'd get much bigger if you started a youtube channel and put out your own clips that's i mean that's good advice it's just a matter of uh it's a matter of doing it i just have to do that um but yeah thank you for 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 saying that I, i i i agree with you i agree with you it's it's the other issue is with doing that other than laziness is that (laughs) I don't know if my comedy lends itself to that because what Andrew Schultz is really good at is he can do crowd work, which is when you talk to the audience without doing material and you're just like talking, shooting the shit, basically just talking to an audience. He can do that four or five minutes and do this, do like a, like a full, you know, five minute interaction with an audience member is really, it's a really rare talent to be able to do it that well and that long. And then he could cut that up and put it online. I'm not very many comedians can do that. I'm not a comedian that could do five minutes straight of crowd work. I can do maybe a minute and then I, then I have to go back to material or move on to another audience member. Um, and the reason I say that is that if I were to do a YouTube, like what you're saying, do a, start a YouTube channel and start doing the, the style video, I would have to burn material. Which is why you don't see a lot of. Co- it's why Andrew Schultz is special, you know. Hmm. What do you I mean could by, do it? What do yeah. you mean by burn material? Like use up material that you wouldn't like to use up? Yeah, like put material out there that uh, I'm doing currently, and then it, you know, burning it means that that if you do like a late night or if you do like a half hour or something that's taped and a lot of people see it, you're expected not to continue doing it. Right. It's like mm. you burned it. You, you put it out there so people are going to see it. And that's why crowd work is great. It's because you never have you're never going to see those pers- same audience members again. Oh, so then you don't burn it because it's like, well, I'm not going to ever talk to John from Syracuse, New York ever again. So let, let everybody see this moment where I made fun of his wife for being ugly or whatever. Um, a lot of comedians are very critical of it because it is easy to do. The thing that's not easy is to to like spin it into a career the way Andrew Schultz has done. Like he, it's incredibly impressive that he did that. Um, but yeah, that I mean, I I don't I don't disagree with with your uh, your advice. I just I, I have you know. no. That's interesting. I would have never known that. Yeah. Obviously, like the world of comedy has a whole 
different style and tactic than I that I'm even aware of. Only sure. comedians would know. Hey, anything for me though, man? Anything you have for oh, me? You're 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 a great interviewer, man. You're you're, you're every clip <laughs> I've seen you. of you on Instagram, I'm like, you know, you got a good voice and you're you ask questions in a really nice, uh, methodical way. That's comforting. So I think you're I think you're doing great, bro. Awesome. Thank you. I didn't how, mean how it like doing, No, how long have you been doing this podcast? Uh a year and a half, two years. Cool. Okay, so COVID. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool. But do you I, do you have any questions for me or anything before um, we wrap up? Dude, you know, I gotta come to Maryland. I don't I don't know if I have any questions right now, but I'll hit, <laughs> yeah, I'll hit man. you up when I when I perform there. Okay, awesome. I dude, I missed your performance in, on April 7th or 6th because I got the biggest fever and I threw up for days. I, I lost like 10 pounds of weight. 